Hello, and welcome to another episode of Capsule Rx Podcast. Today, I'll be your host, Dr. Joven Lazo. And today we have um, a guest that we've never had before. This guest is, I feel like, super rare in our profession. And I'm super excited to have on because this was one of the few things, one of the few careers I never knew existed until probably like my second or third year of pharmacy school. So I'm really excited to have this guest on here to go ahead and provide some insight about his career and about his profession. So with all that being said, welcome. And thank you so much, Dr. Ned um, Milenkovic, for being on here today. Thank you, Joven. Great to be here. Appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. Yep, certainly. And the episode today is going to be focused on pharmacy and law. So Ned here has not only his pharmacy degree, but also his law degree. And that's something where I know all of us (laughs) Hated having to, to study for the for our law classes and having to try to pass the law exam. But there's some really interesting and cool things that you can do with with the with the JD degree. And that's why I really wanted him to come on and kind of attest to that. So that way anybody listening, if you've been thinking about maybe doing an alternate career path or something that's different and unique, we kind of have a resource here. So to start off, can you kind of just provide a brief introduction about maybe like where you went to school, um, how you kind of got to where you're at um to our audience today? Sure, sure. Well, I originally am from Cleveland, Ohio, and I went to Ohio State University uh, back in the Stone Age when PharmDs didn't really exist. They were they were sort of existing. They were starting to become in vogue, but uh, you basically got yourself a BS in pharmacy, and then you went off and became a practicing pharmacist. Um, and you know, a lot of people went into retail, some went into hospital, and um, long-term care was also available. There were other settings, too. Uh, someone to industry. And I, in fact, went back and became a hospital pharmacist in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, until I signed up for the PharmD degree at the University of Illinois, Chicago. And so in 1996, I moved to Chicago to pursue that. Uh, and then I, you know, I, I did it remotely while I was working full time because they had that continuing career curriculum option for practicing pharmacists. Because the whole profession was transitioning to a farm team, and I didn't want to get left behind. Um, and then subsequent to that, I went to law school. Uh, while practicing as a pharmacist, I was a part-time, full-time, nighttime uh, hospital pharmacist at Rush University Medical Center um, while going to the John Marshall Law School. Uh, and so that's, uh, that's sort of how that was the, my background in my education. And then where the goal was for me to uh, finish the law degree and then somehow create uh, a pathway for myself uh, where I would marry the pharmacy profession with the legal profession um, because I just loved both and I wanted to do both. And so uh I ended up practicing as a drug and pharmacy attorney, and that's what I am today. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask some more questions about that. We'll dive into that a little bit deeper. But before we do that, can you please provide like the audience like a brief explanation about your job title and what a day in the life is like for you as somebody who has that law degree and that pharmacy degree? So I guess it depends on what type of attorney you are. Uh, for me, I've always been in private practice. So uh, the day in the life of a attorney in private practice is going to consist of a lot of different things. Um, You could be uh, talking with clients about their compliance issues. You could be defending a client against a a board of pharmacy investigation, uh, a DEA investigation. 
you might be talking to a client about uh, buying or selling a pharmacy or a business. Uh, you might be talking to a client about the fact that they're in a dispute with a vendor and they are about to be sued or they're going to sue the vendor because the contract went sideways. You could be talking to a client about uh, dealing with payer audits. So it, the universe is, is pretty vast. You know, it consists of, of doing legal analysis, research, providing strategies for clients, or, or at least putting, putting the strategy to the client and giving them some options. Some lawyers are in court, uh, some work in an office all the time. Uh, so it varies, but uh, pretty much every day is different. You might be on the phone a lot. You might be on conference calls a lot. You might be traveling. Um, you're certainly not stuck in a pharmacy box uh, like you otherwise would be if you were, you know, a retail pharmacist. Not that that's a bad thing, but, you know, that life is, is a little bit different uh, for a lawyer. In this profession. Okay, perfect. Sure. Yeah. And. And you said something earlier that I found very interesting. You said that you were you loved pharmacy and you loved law and you wanted to kind of marry those together. You wanted to find a way. So would you say at that time there wasn't really a need for this profession or there wasn't really a uh, maybe there was a need, but there wasn't that many positions that were available. So you kind of like created your own, would you say? Well, I would tell you that certainly it's far more common today that we see pharmacists becoming attorneys than it was back when I did it. You know, people would just not understand why someone would go to pharmacy school, become a pharmacist, and then decide to go to law school. Well, some lawyer, some pharmacists, perhaps they have a career change and they want to become lawyers to be, you know, family lawyers or estate planners or, mm -hmm. you know, do something which has absolutely nothing to do with pharmacy. In my case, I was always extremely interested in healthcare, whether that be becoming a pharmacist or a doctor uh, or some other healthcare professional. And I also had this sort of, you know, duality about me where I was very interested in the law. And I can remember people saying to me, you know, why'd you go to pharmacy school if you want to become a lawyer? There is probably, we do have an organization called the American Society for Pharmacy Law, um, where we do have a lot of pharmacists, a lot of lawyers, and a lot of pharmacist lawyers. When I say a lot, it's not really a lot, but it's, you know, we yeah. tend to have our own little sort of subculture of pharmacist attorneys. And we, we all sort of know each other and, you know, we all live in different parts of the country and we get together once a year for continuing education, for pharmacist continuing education, and we get our legal continuing education at the same time and we network. So, there were, I, I have and had a lot of friends who would, you know, go into industry. Um, they would work for, you know, the big chain pharmacies in their legal department, and they were pharmacists. Some went and worked for, for wholesalers. Some went and worked for, you know, drug manufacturers. Um, some worked for, for PBMs, yeah. you know, likes of Express Scripts and, and Medco and Caremark and, Prime Therapeutics and Optum didn't exist, but the predecessors to, to Optum. And then, you know, for me, I went into private practice. And I think what you get when you're in drug and pharmacy law, like I am, is you get a very narrow field that's maybe three feet wide 
but that's three miles deep, meaning that there are all kinds of legal issues that surface on a daily basis for any number of clients that you couldn't even imagine. And I've been doing this for years now. Uh, and there's always something new and different taking place. Sometimes things repeat themselves. We get that. But, you know, there's always something new that's happening. And, you know, to be a pharmacist and to be able to understand the profession and how it works and then apply a legal lens to it is something that is unique. And we get a lot of referrals from law firms who have great healthcare groups, mm -hmm. but they don't want to touch the drug and pharmacy space because it's like they don't feel comfortable in it. It's a foreign language to them. Yeah, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different. So that's why we're here. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you personally work in private practice. What other practices would you say is available if anybody that's interested in this career? And can you kind of, if, if you can, can you kind of attest to the differences between them? Go in-house, as we mm -hmm. call it, uh, and you could be working for a large company or if you're working for a smaller company, you probably have more than one hat on. You may be doing things beyond drug and pharmacy law. You might be you know, negotiating real estate leases or you know, negotiating the purchase of a business or um, you know, whatever, whatever it takes to keep the, keep the legal department and, you know, running and keep the company running through the legal department. Um, there are opportunities for lawyers in, in, in government work. Uh, they could be FDA lawyers. Uh, they could be DEA lawyers. Um, they could be at CMS, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Uh, there's any number of federal agencies that have a need in the healthcare setting for for attorneys. Stateside, you know, you could be a board of pharmacy lawyer. We also, by the way, see quite a few of our colleagues who are pharmacist attorneys, while they have a law degree, are practicing as something other than a lawyer using their legal background. I think a perfect example of that is my, my uh, uh, friend and colleague, uh, Jay Campbell, who is the executive director of the North Carolina Board of Pharmacy, pharmacist and an attorney. He's the executive director of the North Carolina Board. Other areas, uh, I suppose uh, academia might be uh, an area of interest. Uh, and again, I, I sort of touched on sort of the big ticket items, you know, manufacturer level, wholesaler level, yeah. retail level, um, you know, attorneys. And uh, so those are some of the sort of top of mind. And the differences, well, I mean, I, I, I don't know what the differences are. I mean, it's inside. You're obviously probably dealing with enforcement issues. Um, mm -hmm. You might be doing policy and liaison type issues, uh, private practice. You know, it's whatever the whatever the daily blocking and tackling is. Uh, and addressing the types of legal issues that come up. Yeah, no, thank you for that. And I even forgot about the academia component because, for example, like teaching the law class, like that could be something that that they're doing. And then also looking at some of the federal um, positions, whether it's through the FDA, DEA, different and law enforcement agencies that could also use the help because I'm sure there's a lot of cases that can come up with certain things. And it'd be nice to have a pharmacist with that law degree background as well to kind of help sure. um, in those situations. So if yeah. if you can, 
what would you say if if there's something that's the most common what would you say is like a common issue you you've kind of seen coming about right now we're seeing i guess we see a lot of different issues first off so i mean it's mm-hmm. like it's not one single issue that jumps out at you but the most sort of pressing issue or, or the issues that we've been dealing with have been the public health emergency during covid some of the relaxation of the rules associated with pharmacists prescribing and dispensing. We see or saw, at least for the time being, a movement uh, toward telehealth and telemedicine. Um, That, I think, is a trend also that it should continue. We've also, you know, we've we've, we've been doing a lot more work most recently after COVID because there was a lull during COVID of enforcement um you know all of a sudden all the you know government inspectors and investigators weren't inspecting and investigating because people weren't mobile they were isolated due to the pandemic and so now the wheels are starting to turn on that and boards are starting to come around again so those are some of the things and and we're seeing we're seeing a transition we're seeing a, a movement within healthcare hopefully it benefits pharmacists and pharmacies where pharmacists have really created a new role for themselves like it or not um it's sort of a central point of access for patients during the pandemic and it has empowered pharmacists to do things above and beyond what they traditionally have done in the past. And I would hope that the emergency laws and the suspension of some of the prohibitions on what pharmacists could do will perpetuate post-pandemic. And I see pharmacies those that are willing and able and want to participate in a more expansive role, a clinical role of being in more involved in healthcare. And hopefully there'll, there'll be some remuneration over that too. Hopefully the payers, particularly the government, federal government will see value in the benefit of a patient frequenting the pharmacist for some things that they would otherwise go to the doctor for. Now, there's going to be a turf battle there, I suspect. But I think pharmacists were like the number one heroes during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And with more and more of a push to have pharmacists to have some type of uh, prescriptive authority, I'm sure that could lead to more issues as well. Um, Because, you know, each state is different. I think uh, I think Colorado is probably one of the more advanced ones, if I remember correctly. But uh, certain states just have certain authority for pharmacists where certain ones don't. And having that prescriptive authority could definitely, it empowers us more and allows us to practice at the top of our license. But then that also kind of strips a little power from the physicians. And there can be some difference in opinions from the physicians as well when it comes to certain things that maybe they don't agree with what the pharmacist recommends and whatnot. So it could get a little, little dicey, but definitely I could see how with more autonomy that we had during the COVID during the pandemic, that could have definitely created more issues. But because of the fact that everybody was kind of locked in, uh, we weren't able 
or I guess law enforcement wasn't able to really track down or probably bring those cases up to the forefront. But with everything opening up now, as you're saying, that's kind of like a lot of the issues you're starting to see is things that kind of happen during that autonomy period during COVID. Yeah, I suspect you one could take the point of view where it's, uh, you know, someone might take issue with the more expanded role of pharmacists. But honestly, there's no, no, there's no uh, replacement of a physician that's taking place. This is simply just another pathway for a patient to gain access to the healthcare system. I mean, I don't see it as any different than a physician assistant or an, an advanced yeah. nurse practitioner who is delegated authority by uh, a uh, by a provider, a physician provider. I mean, all that, unfortunately, all that needs to continue to evolve. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to see, I think you're going to see centers of, of medicine starting to take shape in pharmacies, hub centers, hub medical centers, where, you know, you might see a nurse practitioner in, in a pharmacy. You might, you might even be, have some lab tests done yeah. in a pharmacy. You might go there to, 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 to check your blood glucose levels, to, to get involved with smoking cessation programs, to check your blood pressure if you're hypertensive. Obviously, they're already going to get their vaccines. They're, you know, they're, there's all kinds of things. I mean, you know, di- dietitians might actually be available at some of these more progressive pharmacies where it's impactful on people's lifestyle choices as to what they choose to consume. I love that 7-Eleven pizza, but it's not too good for you. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to do the best for you. A dietitian would not recommend that. Yeah, you bring up a great point. I, I personally believe that we're headed that way. I do see, that's just my personal opinion. I think that's like the way to, I don't want to say save retail, but I think that's the way to improve retail or make it more resourceful is to kind of combine retail and ambulatory care pharmacy where you have that um, collaborative practice agreement with a physician. You kind of combine that with maybe a uh, a CNA or somebody there that can draw labs. So that way you already have all the labs there. You probably have CPA with some type of physician for these certain disease states. You as a pharmacist can go ahead and really dose adjust, go ahead and dose, go ahead and write the script, whatever, just do like a 30 day supply. Then if they need a refill, they have to see me or something like that. Like, I feel like that's the way pharmacy is going to head, especially for a lot of retail pharmacies. Cause it only makes sense if you're already coming here to pick up your meds, why should you have to drive somewhere else? to also go see somebody for your healthcare. Like why not kind of make one pit stop for everything and then it'll just make life so much simpler for the patient. Yeah, I agree with you. We'll see. Ho- hopefully we get there. I think it's heading that way, but, but hopefully, um, cause I know some companies are doing that. I haven't seen that too much in Florida, but I've seen that in the Carolinas that there are some, some companies that have kind of already implemented a system like that. Um, I think some of the major retailers are probably embracing it. They have more resources and they can deploy certain assets toward that. And we'll see. There's some independents out there that are very progressive too. Um, I have to hand it to some of them. Uh, There are a few pharmacies out there that have really embraced broadband of healthcare services, obviously within compliance with their state laws, but, uh, but, but certainly that's uh, you know, when, you know, when I sat on the board of pharmacy in, in Illinois, I was a board uh, member for almost 10 years there. there um, these, these positions are, are board appointed by the governors of the respective states. You know, we, we would grapple with, with legal and regulatory issues 
for the professional pharmacy, the Pharmacy Practice Act, the regulations. And and so we also got an opportunity, and, and I do also separately at being in private practice, because some of our clients are na- national. Um, so we have to look at literally 50 different state laws. You know, it's interesting to see what the laws in the various states allow and, and don't allow. And it's really the profession, the stakeholders in the industry that propel laws and rules. But for, you know, I say, this is my bias, but for the private sector, but for the industry pushing on boards to, and challenge boards to roll with the changes. I mean, technology is a perfect example. I mean, some of these laws that are sitting on the books in these states are, are, are arcane. They, they're, 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 they're inapplicable. Uh, they just don't fit anymore how we, how we model, model things. You know, the first time they hear it, they're like, no way. Uh, second time they hear it, they're like, hmm, maybe it's a good idea. You know, and then somewhere down the road, they say, we need to implement that. So you, I've seen it over and over and over again uh, in, the, in, in the profession. So, and I've seen it from both sides, from private sector. And then, of course, you know, when I put my government hat on when I was sitting as a board member for in the state of Illinois. Yeah. And, and that's a, that's a great point. That's something I think, I know I kind of slack on as being in the state of Florida. I'm sure a lot of people listening probably aren't that active and paying attention to who our board members are for our state, because they're the ones who are helping to make the impact and the changes. And if they're kind of have more archaic views when it comes to certain things, things won't really change. So if we want to be progressive with the profession, we have to be mindful of the people we're electing and the people who come into those roles to allow our our profession to continue to grow and prosper because without innovation, we'll just be behind and we have to keep up with the times and what's, what's, what's going to be coming up with all these different players coming into our space when it's like Amazon and like tech companies now coming apart into the um, pharmacy or the healthcare corporation. We have to understand like technology is now changing. So tech is going to be a very vital role in a lot of the work that we do and we have to make sure that our laws allow it. And you and you raise a good point uh, about pharmacists and the boards of pharmacy. I mean, I happen to know several of the Florida uh, pharmacists, pharmacy board members, uh, the executive director, Jessica Sapp, and some of the other people. It's very important, and I don't care what state you're in, it's very important for pharmacists to attend at least one or two public meetings where the pharmacy board convenes to get a feel for the types of issues that they're dealing with. And it's a, it's a bit of a sacrifice. I mean, you've got to take time off. Maybe it's your day off, or maybe you want to take time from work if you can to go sit and listen, because you're going to learn all about the day-to-day issues that are percolating in your state at the pharmacy board level. And if you really, really want to get involved, you might join your pharmacist association, your state pharmacy association, and you can actually be an advocate um, either directly or through your association and try to impact, you know, changes that would benefit the profession. Because keep in mind, the Board of Pharmacy 
is not really there. Well, they are there for the pharmacists, but they're really there to protect the public safety and health. Mm -hmm. And so they're your friend. They're the ones that license you, by the way, to practice. And they can take your license away if you don't practice where you should. Uh, and do everything in between, like fine you, put you on probation, you know, mm-hmm. reprimand you, all that fun stuff that they do to people's licenses. It makes them, you know, stay up at night. But really, I think some of the greatest boards of pharmacies that I've known have been open minded, listen to what people have to say. They don't always agree with you, yeah. but but certainly I think they're there's enough wisdom on the boards in a perfect world where, you know, decisions are made that that benefit the profession while protecting the public safety and health at the same time. Definitely. Yeah. And I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, That might be something I I try to do this year is try to attend one or two meetings because I've never gone. I've heard great things about going, whether it's from mentors or fellow um, when I was still in school, fellow classmates who were part of that student organization, they would yeah. go, um, I, I forget the name of it. I know I'm pretty sure it's the APHA, but I, I think it's a specific acronym after that. And they just talked about how they had a great time and it was just so interesting the things they learned. I just never did it. And so that might be something I challenged myself with and anybody listening, it, whether you're a pharmacy student or a pharmacist, I would highly recommend that, um, you do what Ned said, try to attend one or two meetings if you want. Um, get in touch with me and we can try to go together because I'm pretty sure they're all in Tallahassee. So we'll have to drive up there, take a little trip. Um, but that's perfectly fine. Actually, I think Florida is one of the states that they move it around. So you might oh, get they? lucky. You might get lucky and not have to go to Tallahassee. I think they have, they, they, I've seen them in Orlando. They've been in Miami, Tampa. Uh, they, they do put out an agenda uh, mm-hmm. or you can go to the board websites, whatever that state is it's not just florida it's it's every state uh find out when they meet what they're going to talk about where it's going to be um and that that sort of thing perfect yeah thank you so much that's that's great insight i had no no idea about that uh, i thought i would have just have to go to tally but maybe if, if it's in orlando or tampa somewhere closer to me uh that would be a lot more fun and, and a lot of easier of a trip on me for me to go attend yeah. I don't know why they put the state capital way over there. <laughs> <It's> like... Nobody does. <laughs> Nobody does. Especially because that part that part of the state is I call it Georgia because it's so different than the rest of Florida. I don't feel like it's it's really Florida. Um it's yeah. more similar to Georgia than Florida. But for some reason it's all the way up there. I guess they couldn't find the land anywhere else because it's so congested in uh <laughs> central and in South Florida. Yeah. But um so let's say for, for all the pharmacy students that are listening, so that's majority of my audience. If they are interested in practicing similar to you, what would you say is the best route to go? Would you recommend maybe getting the pharmacy degree first, then getting the law degree? Would you say to do the, try to find a dual degree program? Um, what would be your recommendation to those people listening? You know, I, I get asked that question probably, whether it be through LinkedIn or, you know, if I'm speaking at a university or whatever the means or the medium is, I get to ask that question a lot. I'm sure. (laughs) And, you know, I always pause when people ask me, they say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm in pharmacy school, but should I I go to law school? You know, and it's a really hard question to answer. You know, the last thing I want to do is tell some young person 
absolutely go to law school because, you know, mm-hmm. great things are going to happen. And then they go to law school and they're like, what the hell is that guy talking about? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So you, you got to do a little bit of your own homework, feel your inner passion for the law. If you have it, um, there's a book by Scott Turow, one L it's, older than dirt, but all of us read it. One L is a first year law student. It's a little bit, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit exaggerated, I think, but maybe not so much, Um, you know, but it's, if you want to know what law school is like, I guess, Uh, because law school is a lot different than practicing law. Um, Probably like pharmacy school is a lot different than practicing pharmacy. You learn all this stuff. They put you through the grinder in pharmacy school. They put you through the grinder in law school too. And, uh, you know, I t- took the NAPLEX, I took the, I took the bar exam in Illinois. And then when I moved to Florida, Florida didn't, didn't accept anybody else's bar exam because they don't do reciprocity here. So I had to take the bar exam again here, yeah. like 20 years later. So you really have to kind of do your own research, but if you think you want to do law, I think it's cool to do a joint degree, a dual degree. Uh, there's not too many of them around. I, I yeah. think I think there's one in Iowa and there might be one in Pennsylvania. I'm not sure. You'd have to yeah. go back. You UF can. used to have one, but I'm, I know they did away with it, I think maybe a year ago or two years ago. They're yeah. definitely diminishing. I'll try to look it up now to see how many programs are. I will tell you that, uh, especially for a young person coming out of law school, uh, it's very important that you get good grades and come out at the top of your class. Uh, if you go to an Ivy League school, maybe it's not as important, but there's a lot of law schools out there. There's a lot of competition. Un- unlike pharmacists, there are a lot of lawyers. Uh, and so you really want to be able to distinguish yourself from uh, from other people. Um so whether you choose to go to farm D school first and then go to law school, either way, it's a long road. You know, people are like, I was like 31 years old when I got done with my, my, my BS, my farm D and then my JD. And people are like, this guy's, this guy's finally done with school. You know, I mean, I could have, could have been a neurosurgeon for, for that matter. <laughs> for that it's amount kind of time. <laughs> Not that I would ever want to be a neurosurgeon, but I'm just giving you an example, you know? So uh, that's my humble advice for for those who are interested in law. Yeah. So it seems like there's Drake University in Iowa. Um, So that's one. We have, what I see here is Ohio State, if they still have theirs. University of Arizona, University of Buffalo, University of Arkansas, University of Maryland, and University of Southern California and Washington State University. Yeah. Well, Drake is the the one that everybody knows about because I think they were like one of the first ones out there. Were they? Yeah. But that's, you know, that's that's a tall order. I mean, going to pharmacy school and then doing the JD also, mm-hmm. well, those are two really challenging programs. But hey, if I can do it, anybody can. I like that. You heard it here first, America. <laughs> if Ned <laughs> can do it, you all can do it. Um so really, when, when you say do your research, what would be a couple things you would recommend somebody look into? Um, so definitely read the book you said by Scott Turo, 1L. 
Yeah, that'll is, give you a flavor for. I guess it depends why you want to go to law school. Okay, you need to ask yourself why you want to be a lawyer, and do you want to be a lawyer dealing with pharmacy issues, or do you want to go off and be a lawyer doing something completely unrelated? I think you can. You can probably read up on some of the different careers that attorneys have. If you are interested in marrying the two professions, like I did, I suggest you look at ASPL, American Society for Pharmacy Law. And I believe they have a student member track. It's not that expensive to join. And you you gain access to uh, all kinds of materials and information. And in November, you can come to our meeting and you can participate to the extent you're interested in it and learn uh, the topics that are being taught in the continuing education classes, which are all pharmacy law classes. And see if you like it. See if you hang out with the people that are doing this stuff and ask them questions and just be a sponge and learn about what it is. You know, talk to people like me I and mean, others like me and see see if it's a fit. You're never going to be 100% sure. Um, sometimes you take a turn in life and you, you got to back yourself out of it and go in a different direction. There's no guarantees in life, as you know. Yeah. So, I mean, but you don't, if you don't take a chance and if you're not, a, if you think you want to be a lawyer, then pursue it and at some point make a decision. What would you say was your why for why you decided to go get the, the law degree? Well, I, you know, I don't know if it was a childhood influence or not, but my father is, uh, he's retired now. He's 81 years old. He lives up in Cleveland, Ohio with my mother. God bless them. They're both alive and, and good. You know, I remember being, I don't even know, 10 or 11 years old and going to my father's bar admission ceremony after he had, he, he got his law degree, he was an engineer, but then he went to law school and I was just like, this is cool. You know, I think I want to be a lawyer. And, you know, that's one of those things that you, you think about when you're really young. And then, but as I got older, I still kept persisting. We used to do, I don't know if they do these things anymore, but when I was going through, through grade school and high school, they would have these career aptitude tests to see what your predisposition was, you know, they would tell you based on the questions that they would ask you is what career would suit you the best. And I would always come up healthcare and law. And so there's this duality. And I was like, truly, if you asked me, I, I thought I was going to be a doctor. I thought I would be a physician. But then I thought, well, you know, pharmacy is cool too, because, you know, that gives me, that, that will give me, range in deciding whether I want to go to law, whether I want to go to medical school, whether I want to do a, a you know residency and a fellowship in pharmacy. And I chose the law. I mean, some of it was pragmatic because, you know, I was like, well, this is a three-year program. I already spent three years in the PharmD program. I already spent five years at Ohio State for, for, for the BS program. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was just it was getting, it was getting a little tired of going to school, but yeah. So, I mean, that's, I don't know if that answers the question, but that's sort of how mm. I evolved into becoming both a pharmacist and an attorney. No, oh, it makes perfect sense. You know, having like a childhood inspirational moment and then also 
doing those career aptitude tests. I never did one in high school. I think I might've done it in college and also in pharmacy school where they kind yeah. of like directed me in pharmacy school. It was like, Oh, like this type of pharmacist career would probably be the most ideal for you based off the things that you like or the things that you want to do. And there was some truth to it. I'm not doing it, but, but uh, there was some truth to some of the things that they said. And I could see that kind of being a guidance where it's like, okay, I have this moment from my childhood that, you know, I, I saw this and it looks awesome. And then, kind of life is pointing me towards healthcare and law. And I actually enjoyed learning about both. So why not do it? So that's kind of like a strong why that you have that made sense for you to kind of go ahead and take that chance. Yeah, I'll tell you one of the one of the interesting things about pharmacist attorney, or even an attorney without the pharmacist degree, if you're in this world that I live in, is you meet some of the coolest people and we have become friends across the entire nation. Yeah. And we go to, for example, the NABP, the National Association of Boards of Pharmacy, annual meetings, the district meetings. Uh, you might go to like a, a, a like a National Association of Chain Drug Stores or the uh, National Community Pharmacists Association. There's a myriad of summits, conferences, expos where people go and they, they meet each other and then they become friends and a circle grows and you, you, you can contact people. If you have questions, the network, if you will, yeah. it's immeasurable. I mean, these people become your friends over a lifetime and it's, you know, I don't know. I don't know what it's like for other professions. I don't know what it's like for, you know, for doctors and, engineers and other people yeah. but i know that i am very grateful for my pharmacist degree and my law degree and it has enabled me to to do really good things for for clients uh it has enabled me to make a lot of friends i have uh you know established i think a, a, a great a great legal practice and so, you know, it's, 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 it's very fulfilling to have chosen this. And in hindsight, well, you can always say, well, if you were to do something else or would you do it again? Yeah. You know, I don't know if I would do it again or not. I mean, I suppose there's other things that I could probably try to do if I really wanted to, but I have absolutely no regrets. And it's been a great, great ride. Um, and just thank all my colleagues and uh, friends and, you know, professors and mentors and now, you know, I'm actually uh, in the position, uh, I told you that I, I got my BS from Ohio State. Um, I sit on the Dean's Corporate Council at Ohio State College of Pharmacy. And now we are mentoring pharmacy students uh, at Ohio State. They take a career class and they link them up with somebody who's, you know, a pharmacist alum and then who did something different perhaps with their career. And so I'm able to give back and help them yeah. in much, much in the way that I hope that our, our podcast today will be valuable to many of your listeners. Definitely. And I've talked about this before in other episodes, the mentorship is so key because it, it's just like exposure. If you don't have somebody kind of championing you or pushing you or at least providing you some insight about their career or providing you some insight on looking at an alternative career path or insight on just kind of following your heart or following your passion, not just doing what you're told to do, 
then you probably won't step outside of the box. So much of us, we lived our lives being within the box, kind of following the rules and just going with the flow instead of sometimes saying, you know what, I will take a chance and try it. And so that mentorship is always key. So I'm glad to hear that you're a part of that. And I hope anybody listening here can kind of be inspired by some of the words that you said today to kind of think outside the box a little bit. Or if you're still unsure, take a chance, go to a board of pharmacy meeting, attend the different student organizations um, that play a role with that to kind of help you gain more insight and maybe find a mentor through that route. 100%. I couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you. Um, actually, I have one last question for you. If you could, for our audience today, what would it be like three takeaway points that you want to leave them regarding the pharmacy profession? Three takeaway points. Um, well, I mean, the first takeaway point is remember that you are, you know, a healthcare professional and that, or, or will be one if you're still in school and the public, you know, is going to, is going to look up to you. Um, they're going to look to you for help in connection with their medication, their health care. If you are passionate about what you're doing, while it might be work, um, it becomes less of a burden. You don't want to do something that you don't like for the rest of your life. You know, the second thing is that I would say is keep your ear to the ground on the profession and be part of the change, be part of the evolution and expansion of the pharmacist, pharmacist role. And the third thing is get involved, get involved with your pharmacy association, get involved with some of these organizations out there and take interest in what is going on legally, strategically, and you might actually grow a new role for your company and be part of the solutions that they're trying to get around, uh, whatever impediments they might be mm -hmm. in advancing, not only the profession, but, you know, helping grow, helping grow a business and, and keep in mind that it's not just retail pharmacy out there. While there's a lot of pharmacists working in retail and I, read about it all the time and social media where people are not exactly happy. I mean, you don't have to be a retail pharmacist. You can be, you know, a hospital pharmacist, a long-term care pharmacist, a home infusion pharmacist, a compounding pharmacist, a nuclear pharmacist. You can work in, in corporate America. You can work for the government. Um, there are all kinds of areas of pharmacy practice that are, not necessarily retail. Uh, and by the way, I'm not trying to poo-poo retail at all because no. my wife, God bless her, I love her. She's a she's a Publix pharmacist. She loves her job. She loves everything about it. But what works for me might not work for you. What works for you might not work for me. But everybody has to make their own decision. And ultimately, I think keeping that in mind is is also beneficial for the profession because we all grow and develop in different ways and we make contributions to our profession as a whole from all different sort of sub-spheres, if you will. Definitely. Thank you so much. Wise words from Ned that we're able to, to, to end this podcast with. So thank you so much. Um, greatly appreciate having you on. Before I let you go, did you have any questions for me? I sure don't, Joey. And I just want to congratulate you on having a great uh, podcast program. And I wish Capsule RX all the all the best. And I hope to see you guys grow bigger and bigger and bigger.
Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it.